Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I'm AJ, your host of the Blue to Green podcast. In this episode, I sit down with the United States Air Force veteran who was medically retired after 14 years, Jen Baxter. I won't let her go into the reasons why she was medically retired, but her story is truly inspiring and powerful. I hope that this episode brings people hope to understand that they are not alone in their fights with addiction and pain, nor in their thoughts. I do not care what part of society a person belongs to, whether you're a first responder, a veteran, or a member of the general public. If you are dealing with these issues, please reach out, seek help, and take back control of your lives if you're dealing with any of these issues, particularly opioid addiction. Thank you very much for listening, and please let me know what you think. Take care, everyone. Here we go. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, please introduce yourself. My name is Jen Baxter, and I am a Air Force veteran. Uh, I served a little over 14 years before being medically retired. And I am originally from Syracuse, New York, and have been living in Arizona for about four and a half years. All right. So you're an Air Force veteran. I am. You were medically discharged from the Air Force. Yes. Let's go back a little bit more. You said Syracuse, New York. So let's talk about your upbringing a little bit. Okay. Whatever you want to talk about. How long do we have? (laughs) Yeah, right. No, no, not not the traumatic parts like all of us have. Okay. (laughs) Good. You know, the... Um, Born and raised up there and um, have five siblings. Um, My parents are in their 80s, so... Okay. I was a flu baby, as my mom likes to call it. Um, And... Was active in high school, had a good childhood. Um, my father was a, is a retired sheriff's deputy okay. from Onondaga County. He served for 26 years. Stepmom was 20 years in law enforcement. She was a sheriff's deputy as well. And um, really grew up, I guess, in that environment. And that's kind of a determining factor of why I did the career I did in the Air Force. Now, I'm not familiar with New York. All I know is New York, New York. Isn't this more of a rural part of the country, or part of the state? It's considered upstate. And it's my understanding that the rural part's significantly more conservative. It's kind of farmish and yeah, blue collar workers and yes. a little more conservative. Yes, for sure. And I'm going somewhere with that. Okay. Because here we are sitting down talking about the fact of why we're here, which is for medical marijuana. Right. So that's the whole point of me kind of bringing up your conservative backgrounds. Like I was raised by law enforcement too. And also we had lunch the other day and we've discovered that we have very similar parallels in our life regarding our upbringing and all that stuff. Both raised by law enforcement officers, both went into the air force, the absolute best force, the best freaking chain branch of the military. Absolutely. So, and we'll, we'll dive into all that stuff. 
So you're growing up in Rochester. Syracuse. Syracuse, sorry. You're growing up in Syracuse, conservative parents. Mm-hmm. What, where were you in the line of children? I was the baby. I was okay. the youngest. And so um, I'm the youngest as well. My mom had four children uh, with her first husband, and then my parents had me, and my father has a, a son from another marriage as okay. well. So um, I think there's four, there's 14 years between myself and the sibling closest to me in age. So my mom was thinking that she was the closest to you dying. in age is yes. 14. Wow. Okay. Yes. All right. So, um, there's 21 between myself and my oldest wow. sibling. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. So I'm not that far apart. I've only got 12 years ahead of me for my oldest half brother. So, so what shows, what, what made you go into the military? Well, I knew my parents didn't have any means okay. to send me to college. Um, academically, I was not the greatest student. I struggled throughout all of school. Um, academics for me was just challenging, but it was just one of those things like I, they didn't have the resources back then, I think, for kids struggling with school that they okay. do now. And um, I just knew that, that college wasn't really in my in my path. And um I considered the military. I'd heard people talk about the military, talk about the army, you know, just the different branches and stuff. And it was when I was a junior in high school, I uh, joined delayed enlistment program oh, okay. gotcha. and had actually signed a contract to be an air traffic controller okay. and um, had that set and was ready to go after I graduated high school. And when I went to leave that October, I was at MEPS um, getting ready to military entrance processing station. Yes. Thank you. For those who don't know. Okay. Future acronyms, <laughs> like I will say them first. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's a billion of them. There so. is. Um, got to got to MAPS, get, was ready to go out, uh, ship out that day, and I weighed a pound over max, okay. over the maximum allowable weight. Tape tested me, was 1% over, and... Um, everything crumbled like it was like this you know my family was there I was so embarrassed my family was there to watch me leave and um I was in the recruiter's office there at the the station or whatever I was like I don't care what you have to do I'm leaving today my family's here blah 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 and was so resistant to what was going on and my recruiter had had worked with me on making sure I was within weight standards and everything else and um then that day came and I didn't leave. And so I basically gave up on any thoughts of going into the Air Force for a year. I worked at Syracuse University for a little bit okay. um, in the Carrier Dome. And um, my dad had a landscaping business at the time, so I helped him with that. And um, about a year later, was like, I'm there's, I'm going nowhere. Um, I want to kind of get out of here, get away and experience some things. Yeah. Although, like, which is weird because change for me is I struggle with change. So... It was a big adjustment for me going into the military, um, but I just knew I didn't really have any other kind of options then as far as being able to go on my own and supporting myself, gotcha. I guess you could say. so. I, I know nothing about Syracuse. Is it a little town? Is it a big town? Big college town. Okay. it's It was big when I lived there. <laughs> like, I go back right, now to right. visit, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this place keeps, keeps getting smaller and smaller, but... Um, Big college city. Okay. So, so the college is what supports for. there. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of industry or, or uh, big tech far- firms or anything like that. There's right. a college town. Okay. 
crucible steel mill carrier uh carrier air conditions mm-hmm. air systems oh gotcha gotcha i don't know what the yeah, carrier company gotcha. <laughs> is there too so there's right. a, there's a couple bigger things but in comparison to a city like phoenix it's, right you know, we're the fifth largest really small yeah so a year later you decide to go back into the military did and you still chose the best branch i did <laughs> did you look at any other branches after you were not ex- after you had that, that issue with the air force originally I didn't. no okay. i just the air force always appealed to me um now again being an air force vet myself it's exciting to talk to another air force vet what what was your drive towards the Air Force? Family member or anything like that? No, there was no family member. It was the culture, I okay. guess. I just like it appealed to me the most. Um, I considered, you know, as, as thinking about the different branches, I did not want to be locked onto a ship in the okay, middle of the ocean right, for six right. months or a year no. or whatever. Just that wasn't something I <laughs> desired to do. Um, perfectly honest, the Marines scared me and I just had, didn't have any interest in the Army. So. Um, just did a little research and decided that I wanted to go the Air Force route. Um, being older now and having experience working with some of the other branches and having, um, I think, more confidence under my belt as I've gotten older, I I would consider some of the other ones. Up. Right. Yeah. That's. I, I look some. back and when I right when I started um, when I start, I went total nine eleven or nine eleven hit and I was like I was I was making great money I was had a fabulous job I was doing. Uh, networking and databases and uh, computers and all that stuff for uh, WorldCom Wireless, which I hope my boss ends up listening to this, my my old boss from 20 years ago. Um, and 9-11 happened, and then it was like, what the fuck are we doing here? What is the point of living if people can crash planes into our buildings and kill us instantly? And I just had uh, that total call to service. Mm-hmm. After that, I was like, oh, I have to do something. And that's when I... I I started talking to my, I, I'm, I have nobody in my background who was military, no family members, no friends. My coworkers though were, all of us were out working in tech and I asked every single one of them who was a vet, what did you do in the military and what branch? And I, I'm, I'm a total intel gatherer and the people who had the best jobs were from the Air Force. The people who got the paid the most were from mm-hmm. the Air Force. They got their training in the Air Force. So I was like, well, I'm going to go in the Air Force. So that's that's how I ended up picking the Air Force. I had no anybody to guide me along the way or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm very happy that I did. I did look in. I did look into the other branches. I was like, nah. I there was that long term thinking that I was thinking about. So right. that's how I ended up choosing the Air Force. Right. And I'm very happy I did. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, so you go back in. You try again. Mm-hmm. What happens? Um, I had an interest in radio, TV broadcasting. Okay. And had applied for that position. Meanwhile, I wanted to do law enforcement. Okay. My whole childhood, I used to go on ride-alongs with my stepmom and as a, when I was in high school. Um, Did you do the Explorer program at all? I or, didn't. No? Nope. Just okay. would go, could go to work with her whenever I wanted cool. to. So um, I remember she actually picked me up. I was working at Bob Evans when I was in high school. And she's like, hey, I got this. She was an evidence technician at okay. the time. She calls okay. me up. She's like, hey, I got this scene I have to go to. Do you want to go? And sure. So I was done with work, and she picked me up, and I ended up going to the scene with her anyway. But um, Was it a gnarly one? Yeah. It was, it was actually something, one of the memorable things that I have witnessed in my life. Oh. Um, that I'm just kind of like, huh, I was an 18-year-old kid just walking up in this crime scene and just being intrigued by the whole right. s- situation and whatever. So um, always had an interest in law enforcement. Even as a kid, I, you know, 
used to play like police cars and just right. whatever. So it it was in my blood. <laughs> but the the whole time I've got my dad telling me, "You don't want to be a cop. Don't be a cop." You got and really trying to deter me from doing it. So um, did this audition tape uh, for this radio for Air Force News or okay. Air Force Network? I think it was. I don't remember, Armed Forces Network, whatever. And they sent in my audition tape to the tech school, and I didn't score high enough on that portion of my ASVAB okay. to go to school. I was like, okay, well, I don't. It's when the ASVAB was broken down into different right, right, criteria, right. Or whatever. Okay, well, whatever. So I just that's when I decided to go into um, security forces. Okay. So. Signed up to go security forces. What year did you go in? Uh, 98, October of 98. Okay. So it was almost a year, whole year later that I ended up leaving. Um, I wasn't supposed to leave till December and my recruiter called me and said, we had some openings. Can you leave in like three weeks? I don't understand for anybody who's in the military. They have an amazing way of knowing who's going where 18 months out. I stayed in debt for almost a year. Mm-hmm. So I get it. They, they they know exactly when people are leaving and where people are going and down, I mean, for long-ass timeouts. So anyways, I apologize. Right. No, you're fine. Um, so signed up. That's what I wanted to do. And October 28th of 98 is when I left for basic training. So did basic training, Lackland Air Force yep. Base, and then moved across base to go to tech school for 10 weeks, I think it was yep. at yeah, the yeah. time. Yep. I followed the same path. I left mm-hmm. December 10th, 2002. You never forget the date you left. Right. <laughs> the date you left, and obviously is the date you got out. Well, for the most part, for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, but you never forget that day you left. So, yeah, and my the first part of my tech training was right across the street at Medina at the little annex oh, yeah. across the way. Yep. Um, so I was there for a couple months and then did some follow-on training. So do the security forces thing. What, okay, so you're going through. Now, I'm asking this as a former cop. I was, I, I make this distinction. I was military and then law enforcement. I was not military law enforcement. How does that, what, what is it like learning military law and also law enforcement and having arrest powers and search and seizure powers and having all that? How does that, what is, could you explain that? Because you're working, your law enforcement job is other service members. For the most right. part, you do have other civilians on the, on the right. base, but. It's just, it's just having a smaller community than what you have outside the gate. Okay. Um, that you have to make sure that there's crime prevention and. Mm-hmm protection of assets and the installation and everything so um see that's the other part too like you do and i don't mean this in a negative way in any way shape or form but you do security type stuff as well you're guarding assets you're protecting multi-million dollar pieces of equipment and planes and all that stuff so right. it's you're integrating that portion of it into also detaining people duis all that stuff right and that's something that i really appreciated about the air force in security forces career field is because it was all encompassing. Yeah, yeah. I was actually the first class to graduate. Um, they used to s- separate um, security and law okay. enforcement. Okay. I so had heard that before. Now that you said that I'd heard that before. You were either one or the other. You were either nuke security or you were law enforcement. Yeah. They didn't um, cross okay. at all. So I was the first class that graduated actual security forces, Okay, which was like I said, all encompassing. So I really appreciated that throughout my career to be able to experience such a spectrum of security and law enforcement jobs. You can do aircraft security, like mm-hmm. you said. Um, faci- we did facility security, obviously. We do security at big headquarters mm-hmm. and commands, which I had the opportunity to do. Personnel security, law enforcement. I did Marine Patrol after 9-11. I was stationed oh, in okay. Hill in Tampa, and 
they decided like, well, we have seven miles or whatever it is of coastline. We don't have anything stopping anybody from coming in from the water. So we started up Marine, Marine Patrol section, did that for about a year. The Air Force Base had this, this stretch of coastline on it? Yes. Nice. It's kind of on a peninsula. Okay. So you've got coastline that's unprotected, didn't okay. even have a fence. Yeah. Yeah, like when I was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base, the Marines would actually invade Eglin Air Force Base for their training exercise. Okay. You'd be stopped on the highway, and, the, and then all of a sudden there's invading Marines, doing right. <laughs> you know, from sea to land type stuff. But anyways, right. I digress. Um, so got to do that. Um, air base, ground defense, installation security. Some people had the opportunity to do combat patrols, combat missions. I uh, was a criminal investigator. I was in non-commissioned officer in charge in CYC nice. <laughs> of investigations for a while when nice. I was stationed at Shepard. I got to do flight chief. Shepard where all the tech students go. Yes. Okay. See, I didn't go to any of the big tech schools. I went to little ones all over. So I didn't get the full Air Force experience. That Shepard Air Force Base, if you want to get law enforcement experience, that was the place to be because I don't remember numbers now as far as how many. Right. But it was like a college campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're dealing with like it's the same things that you're seeing off base, essentially. There's, and, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you have rapes that happen. You yes. have assaults that happen. You have drugs that happen in the barracks and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, you're dealing with 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Right. Who are living away from home probably for the first time in their life. Yep. And they got a little bit of cash in their pockets and they go fucking nuts. Right. So. And they're like, freedom. Like, <laughs> I'm not at home anymore. Right. And so they have this phase system. Right. You know, where they, okay, this week, you're, you're in, you've been in school for this long. You're allowed to go out to a certain time. Curfew. So there's a little reintegration mm -hmm. into, we don't just cut you loose every weekend and go do what you want so oh my god the barracks would be like rocking on stilts when you got right. back on sunday night it was bad enough as it was <laughs> how it was so <laughs> drugs you're right yeah. we had a lot of drugs i actually had the opportunity to work with air force osi okay for a little bit of time i was temporarily assigned to them helping out their drug which detachment. is the office of special investigation which yes. does like complex they're detectives they're, felony crimes yeah they're plain clothes sometimes federal undercover agents. federal yes. agent detectives that right. are in the air force yes. and they but they come from the ranks of the air force yes it is an some air force job yeah oh i didn't know they that you have some civilians okay sure. do me a favor pull that just a little closer to you the the whole thing there you go there you go okay. you don't have to lean okay there you go perfect <laughs> got it yeah i didn't know that there were civilians in in osi from are, Unless I'm mistaken, I feel like there was civilians that worked in certain positions for OSI. Gotcha. If I remember correctly. So there's that. There's air for, uh, aircraft security. Um, you could be assigned to a nuclear base and okay. do nuclear security. So I really appreciated that um, aspect of security forces. I actually ended my career at, at the brig in Miramar. Really? I did. I was stationed there for five years and... That was a really cool experience because it was consolidated. So you had every branch but the Coast Guard there okay. as staff members. And then just being able to work those all those different positions throughout my career, uh, got the opportunity to do flight chief duties, like shift sergeant, yeah, um, command duty officer out at the brig, and just got to experience a lot of really cool aspects of it. You got leadership skills. You got... Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was I was E5 promotable. Or what is it, E4? I had a line number for Staff Sergeant. Okay. So I took the test, and I hadn't pinned it on yet. And it was going to be like some ridiculous amount of time after my enlistment ended to, to pin on E5. So I got out. So, yeah, no, I didn't want the response. That's the one thing I don't like about the military is if, you, if you're good at your job and you just want to do your job, you can't. You can't just stay doing your job. You have to move up in rank. You have yes. to take on leadership responsibilities. Right. It's just, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Right. So, so you're stationed at Del, Del Mar? Miramar, 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 Miramar. San Diego. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, so what happens during that time period? What transpires? I was stationed there. I arrived there, I think it was 2007, and... Around 2010 or 2011, I ended up having to go in for a foot surgery. Is this what you're talking about? You're you're good. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, ended up having to have foot surgery done, and something went horribly wrong with it. Doc- what, what caused you to have the ha- have to have the surgery? I had a tendon okay. in my second toe that needed to be repaired. Okay. Needed to have a little work done to it or whatever. And needed a tune up. A little tune up. Um, boots can boots and cement floors for 12, 14 hours. You know, it just it <laughs> takes a little toll. The military is wonderful for your body. Right. Yeah. Um so ended up going in for surgery. The doctor looked at me and said, I've never had this happen in 30 years. I don't know what to do. Okay, cool. So I let her try to fix the problem. My toe, basically, it was, my mom's like, that's obscene. It looked like you was flipping somebody off. Okay. It was just sticking straight up. It didn't do anything. Went in. She attempted to fix it. And it Was there work. an issue in the surgery that happened? Or it was when they took a look at your toe? It was like, holy shit. It was after. So she did the first surgery, sent okay. me home, wrapped it up, whatever. And then I looked at it and was in a lot of pain with it. Okay, so and, something happened. Right, in okay. addition to it sticking up. So what apparently happened is the tendon ruptured and retracted. Oh, understood. I understand. Down yeah. in and... it. So it pulled your toe. It did. Yeah, it pulled your toe and it made it pop up like it, it was did. flipping you off. Right. I gotcha. Didn't bend, so it was just, you know, just kind of like that. <laughs> so let her go back in, try to fix it. Same doc. Same doctor. Ooh, okay. No luck. Same same she and she said she looked literally looked at me and said i don't know what else to do were you conscious during this during the surgery the surgery no okay okay i was not it's like it's not she wasn't like staring at you going oh shit no okay no yeah, that would suck <laughs> no so she did what she could the second time put some screws and hardware in there and it it wasn't any better okay still had a lot of pain a lot of pain complications with it and was sent to a different doctor at Balboa Hospital. All military. All military. Okay. And Problem number one. Right. And she said, "Well, I think I, I think I can fix this." So I said, "Okay, well, it's got to be better than what's going on with it now." Had a third surgery on it. How? What's the time span on this? From the first to this oh, third one. Oh gosh, it was probably. The span of about a year. Okay, I that's, would say that's a lot of surgeries a lot in a year. Of time, yes, or a lot of surgeries. Yes, it is short amount of time. So, did the third surgery, and by this time, because I had been on like limited duty for such a long time, um, 
an, a medical evaluation, MEB, medical evalu- evaluation board was initiated. Okay. So they basically go through your medical records, look at what you have going on and determine, can you return to duty or is this something that is going to end your career? And ultimately it was determined that I could no longer serve. So this foot surgery gone bad twice, <clears throat> excuse me, had led to me losing my career. Yeah. So because I I had a little over 14 years in at the time. Ugh. Yeah. So it was Ugh. so close. <laughs> oh man. So close. And because the amount of time I had in and because they go through all of your previous medical records and I had actually had back surgery back in 2003. Okay. For herniated disc. Ugh. Went back to work. All all in the military, yes. on the military's dime, military's doctors all that stuff. Yes. Okay had a knee surgery and I had, I had had a couple injuries throughout my career. But so that I was just going to ask you what led to those injuries, those surgeries need to be performed. Just wear and tear. Uh, yeah. Just life happens. We're humping, rucking. I don't mean humping in the good sense. I mean, humping with right. 65 pounds on your back. And right. right. I know the, the Marines just laughed at when I said 65 pounds. <laughs> right. I know, but it's just, it is hard. People don't understand that military is just a hard life and you're, you have to maintain your fitness standards so you're working out and it's not the best workouts. Right. I look back at what I did and what I do now and I'm 20 years older than what I was then and I'm doing 100% better workouts that would have been more functional for me. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have maintained my fitness. So anyways, I apologize. So all you just wear and tear, back surgery, knee surgery, multiple toe surgeries. What what did you are you I think I asked you this before and I apologize. Um are you fused? Is your back fused? It's not. Okay. My back's not. My whole toe is okay. at this point, but my back is not. They said, you know, we'll just do the laminectomy, discectomy yeah, yeah. type thing yeah. and just let it go. And gosh, it was 2003 since then. It's just kind of like, yep. you know, closes up, dries yep. up a little bit. So how's that feel? Hit and miss. <laughs> <laughs> that's my injury. Hit and miss. Yeah, that's my injury. That's it's like one two now discs are all herniated and fucked up and crushing my spinal cord and causing Mm -hmm. sciatica and muscle atrophy and all the fun stuff. Right. So that actually led to the level above it. I'm mm -hmm. at least herniating too. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I've got a couple in my neck, Mm. but what was really interesting to learn is because of how I, of my foot surgery, how I had compensated for walking because your toe doesn't bend. You don't walk correctly. I've developed Bone spurs on the right side of my spine, my neck, and my lower back. So those are fun. No, I'm sure. Yeah. So all this time you're in the military, how's your pain level? Once I kind of healed from the injuries and the surgery, I I managed. It was all right. It was manageable. Um, it, the back thing while I was in would flare up every okay. once in a while, but it wasn't anything that was basically alarming to, you know, med board me or whatever, which is, it's interesting. And I kind of flew under the radar. I was actually told that by a doctor, he says, you, you know, by the time you go to PT and mm-hmm. surgery and recovery for a back surgery, it's a decent amount of time. And he said, well, you, nobody wanted to put you up for a med board. And I was able to go back and work and everything. So. Which would have been a career ender. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that one injury alone, that one surgery alone could end a career. Right. So it every once in a while, like I said, it would flare up, but it wasn't until 2011 or so that I really ran into some 
some problems that ended my career. Yeah. So. And how are you managing your pain during this time? Well, it was pretty much an endless supply of pain pills. Okay. I was getting, you know, after surgery, you're getting a prescription for pain pills, Vicodin or Percocet or whatever. And when you have back-to-back-to-back surgeries over a year to deal with this pain that you're dealing with and these surgeries and the third surgery they had, they even went in. I have probably a six-inch incision on another part of my foot because they actually went in and recorrected Mm, something else in there. So um, pain pills ended up going to a civilian doctor at one point who actually had put me on fentanyl patches. And I remember, like, sweating profusely when these things would start administering. Yeah. I was like, what the heck is this? So didn't use those for very long. Did they work? They just made me really sleepy and not yeah. really want to do a whole lot. Kind of felt, kind of felt junky with those. You, you felt honest. drugged. Yeah, you for felt sure. totally drugged. Yes. Um, was med boarded and it was determined that I would be medically retired. Okay. So, fortunately, it wasn't a, just a discharge; it was actual retirement. That's which, good for your benefits. Yes, which was I was very grateful for that, and went from the military healthcare system to the veteran healthcare system (laughs) Um, and continued with my pain management plan. Just went, I moved away from San Diego. I went to Kansas city at the time and got enrolled in the system out there and follow up healthcare with my provider and pain management was going for your appointments and here's your monthly prescription and no sort of physical therapy, rehab, anything like that. Just here's your pills. Have a nice day. They did a, a physical therapy thing with me for a little bit of time for my toe. But okay. I mean, it's like they try and make you pick up like scrunch a towel with your foot. Okay. You could do that at home. Right. Type stuff. So. And that's not going to fix the problem that the doctor caused. Right. And I had gone to, I've gone to several doctors since. Okay. Because it's still something that affects me on a daily basis. And I think there's been at least three doctors that have recommended just amputating it. No. So. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> just cut it off. Yeah, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> right. There's, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So. That's we'll, why it's a medical practice. Right. They don't have it down yet. Right. We're not doing that. We'll try it. <laughs> we'll try we we can just put works. it back on. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. You don't need that. Oh, my God. And the pain management is your your pills. Pain management is the pills. So the end, I was retired in December of 2012, moved to Kansas City in the spring of 2013, got into my um, healthcare system out there, and by, I think it was 2014 or so, I was being prescribed... 480 oxycodone a month, 60 slow-release morphine, 30 Ambien, and 30 anxiety depression meds. And sorry for asking a personal question, but was the anxiety and depression meds caused from what you were going through, or was it just something that they prescribe? It was something that I was going through. I had sought 
some mental health help throughout Good. my career at different Good. times when I felt like I needed it. On the DL, of course, because of course. you didn't want your unit finding out you had sought out medical or med- mental health care. Because as a law enforcement officer who carries a firearm, you are what's called rubber gunned. And you're doing what's called weeds and seeds, halls and walls, or whatever you want to call it. And you're literally walking around the unit with no weapon on during the daytime. Why aren't you working? I thought you were on mids. Oh, just kind of hanging out here. And people are, people look down at, on you. And and to be clear, for those who don't understand this, is when you go in the military and you seek treatment for mental health, no matter what level of care it is, they pretty much over assess the situation they strip you of your ability to do your job because they think you're a threat mm-hmm. and they pull your they can pull your security clearances if you carry a gun they're going to take your gun away from you so they while i understand the abundance of caution it also is a complete stigma there's no support for hey good job if there's something bothering you good job go talk to them go talk it out there's none of that bullshit right. so right. so Okay, yeah, and that's the problem. I, I had another veteran on the show just last week. You might know her. <laughs> so no idea who you're talking about, <laughs> right? So, and this is the thing that we talked about: is the stigma of the inability to go seek treatment because you don't want to not be able to do your job. You want to be able to do your job more effectively, right? Which is the reason why you go and seek out counseling and help and therapy. Not it's not to not do your job; it's to get your head right so that you can go do your job. But the military just has that completely bass backwards and ends up taking your job away from you, thinking you're a threat, no matter what it is you talked about inside the meeting. Right. So, which completely dissuades everybody from wanting to go get help. Right. So, absolutely. So you're given Ambien, Ambien, oxycodone, morphine, morphine, slow release morphine, and other psych meds. Yes. Every month. And this is just your your monthly flow. Yes. Go to your appointment, send them an email, whatever. Um, Get your prescription filled. Drive over to the, pick up my my meds from the pharmacy and get in my car and pop. Drugged. Getting your car drugged up. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'd get in the car and take four right away because I'd been out. Right. Because I'd run out after, by the end of the month, by Mm -hmm. the day 30. I'm like, okay, time to go in and get this and. This is what you're supposed to be doing uh, to help yourself. This is what you're supposed to be doing to help your injury, help your pain. I had also, at the time, tried to get into therapy, trying to get into counseling. I was struggling on your with own? the transition. Yes. Okay. Yes. And unless you're comfortable with your with your provider and you really feel like you're getting something out of it, but you also kind of have to be in a place that you're willing to pursue what's going on with you really Mm -hmm. to really look inside and say okay yeah i'm dealing with this this and this um it doesn't work so there was a couple attempts there to try and follow through with that and it never went anywhere and but you still were seeking it out though i did that's awesome i did that's awesome but there was i was miserable no so i was absolutely miserable i had lost 14 years mm-hmm. of an identity, over 14 years of an identity. And the military does a wonderful job of starting you from zero and building you up and teaching you things and creating what they need out of you. 
and then you go through your transition class when you're transitioning out and they're telling you what outfit to wear to job interviews that's that that in my mind is what really sticks out is their prep for that here's how to get your va benefits here's some websites to use for your resumes here's what you should wear here's how you should speak you know that Mm -hmm. type of thing and the very basic 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 it's like a week-long program to to undo even four years right of of service to go back into the civilian sector and I lost a career, I lost an identity, I lost a sense of purpose. I lost the place that I was living, so I was just kind of existing. Mm-hmm. I was when I was retired, I was retired as unemployable. So because I, of your VA rating. Correct. Okay. Yes. So I was just trying to figure out, okay, now what? <laughs> But in the meantime, here I'm taking these drugs that kind of numb everything. Yeah. And it's very easy to live in a a miserable place. It's it's comfortable to be comfortable. You know, it's comfortable to be miserable. Yeah. It's the misery you know. It's a cycle. You just stay there and it's it's effort to do something different. Yes. It's effort to get up and go for a 10 minute walk. It's effort to make healthy food and not just go to fast food. It's there's, there's effort in all of that. And I had none. I relied on these meds. I'd wake up in the morning already feeling a little jittery because I hadn't taken them in a while. Mm -hmm. Take four, probably fall asleep for a little bit. And I continued this path basically until the spring of 2016 so you're thinking it's six and a half years at this point and towards the end of 2015 i was going through the oxy in 21 days 480 oxy in 21 days yes now and let's be honest here how much of that was for pain little it was more of a to keep the Mm -hmm. keep the withdrawals away yep basically and to keep that keep that feeling because they they make you feel a certain way and you you need to sustain that to feel good right quote unquote i'm doing air quotes (laughs) good so it it just it was it was a cycle that i had fallen into and go to the va pick up my meds get in the car i usually have a red bull sitting there pop 20 milligrams of oxy swish it down with some Red Bull and head home. And start your day. Right. Good Lord. And the reason I was able to go through 480 Oxy in 21 days is because I didn't always take the morphine. Okay. And figured out at one point I had started going through some withdrawals really bad. And it was very, very uncomfortable. And I thought, okay, well, morphine is an opioid, mm-hmm. so let me try it and see. And it it did. It suppressed. It kept medicine in my system yeah, and yeah. kept the withdrawals away. Yeah. So I figured out a system. Well, I can take more of the oxy and just hang on to more of the morphine. And when I run out, I'll just do that. And although it, it's not as fun <laughs> as the oxy, at least I'm not going into some withdrawals. So, Did anybody at the VA ever approach you and ask you how's it going what's what can we help you with are you still having pain or was it just the constant just monthly appointments get your drugs and 
out the door you go. That's what it was. Yes. When uh, I did a research paper when I was going through college just recently on the specific, on exactly what you're talking about with the VA and the number of prescriptions that they prescribe was, I'm sure it still is pretty high, but it was astronomical back then. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even understand how they could, how somebody could call themselves a doctor and prescribe that many drugs. Now I get it. You don't know what to do. The service member hurts, but let's, let's make a plan here. Mm-hmm. Let's figure something out. Right. <sighs> That's I can't even imagine that amount of drugs. I had no quality of life. Right. I was sucking oxygen every day. That was it. Um, fall asleep throughout the day and just lay around. I was the most unhealthy yeah. that I had ever been. I weighed probably 225 pounds or so, 220 pounds. I was miserable. I was mean. Yeah. I didn't enjoy music. I love music. I even thought in my head, gosh, I don't like music like I used to why um was very I was just toxic yeah I was just a very toxic and unhealthy and unwell and you didn't feel well either right didn't feel well because I'm still dealing with pain right but this other situation that I'm dealing with is just it's a band-aid to a much bigger problem there's a lot going on (laughs) with with the pills one of the things that you said though too is rings so true with me is that Law enforcement does the same thing, too. Um, I departed law enforcement early, and I only did 11 years. And after my departure from law enforcement, um, which was a one-way street, by the way, um, I had no mission. They had mm-hmm. built, and again, I'm military as well, but I, it's, I'm very removed from actually having been in the military. I can talk about the fun experiences and all that, but the camaraderie and the spirit of core for me came from the law enforcement side. And they take you from nothing, very, very military style, mm-hmm. and build you up to what they want. And then when they're done with you, they're done with you. Mm-hmm. And your mission is gone. Your sense of purpose is gone. Your sense of who you are. Now, I don't know about um, military law enforcement, but I know that civilian law enforcement, when you get in in your first couple years, in your first few years, you're, you're, you're the cop. You're always on. You made a, you said a quote the other day and it was living in a, what was it? Living in a constant state of anticipation Mm -hmm. because you're trained for the worst possible things all the time and redundancy and you're taught, um, threat security and you're taught all of these things to be looking out for and you have a mission and you have a purpose and you wake up every day, but they, they do a terrible job of giving you a sense of purpose on the way out. Right. And especially the military after 14 years be medically retired, your mission is gone. And people don't understand the fact that it's not particularly law enforcement. It's not just a job. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it's a calling. It's mm-hmm. a it's a call to service. It's a call to action. It's a call to help. You know, and again, this is the entire point of this entire thing that we're doing right here is because I'm trying to show the humanity of both sides and tell people stories. And people don't understand what it means to be a law enforcement officer and then have that stripped away from you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking the power you had. I'm talking the sense of purpose you had. Right. The mission that you had. You know, that's one of the things that I think that I think this podcast is now my new mission, mm-hmm. you know, to help people. But so you're 14 years out and you have no more mission. You have no more purpose. You have pills. Right. You have pills to, to take over who you were, what you were trained to do and your your mission, your your sense of purpose every day. That's that has to be extremely difficult. Yes, it was. It was. And 
I considered suicide. There were times where I, you know, what you just said, I don't, what, what am I doing? Right. This is, this whole environment is, is awful. Um, it, it would have been the easy thing to do at the time. Thought about it a, a little bit here, a little bit there is kind of as, you know, later into 2015, was getting closer towards the end of the year, fall time or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I really, um, that's when I was really tanking. I think that's when I was very close that if I hadn't changed, didn't change something that I would have been a statistic. And unfortunately a friend of mine that happened to similar, very similar situation. Friend of mine worked together in San Diego, had some foot or leg surgery that had gone wrong and, same thing, and unfortunately, he became a statistic, and it it happens every day. Every day. <laughs> and I had some thoughts cross through my head one day that stopped me in my tracks, and I literally, it was like a voice in my head thought, if I were to tell anybody this, they would probably wonder what's wrong with me. They would be very worried. I thought I could never, it was just as big as a secret as how bad the pill problem was, okay. you know, I talked to my family and friends and would never mention anything like that. Cause it was at the time I didn't, I couldn't imagine something like that being taken away from me. Cause that's kind of my crutch. That's what I had. Um, and had never considered doing it. It was denial for myself as well. Right. So I'm not going to tell anybody else about this because I, this is where I want to be right now. And it's the sort of thing too. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that when people would ask you, "How are you?" What was your answer? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Doing I've, all right. I've shoved it all the way down <laughs> yeah. as deep in, as far as I can, which is a which that that's perfect. That's a great thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Just go ahead and shove that down. It never comes back later. Now in I'll life. talk about it. Yeah, it never comes back. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It'll, it'll just fade away. Right. I'm being sarcastic, obviously. <laughs> you know, people that, but that's the other thing too. That military does not train you how to deal. Mm-hmm. It's mission, 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 mission. Get the mission done. Whatever you need to do, put everything to the side. It's the mission, mission critical. That's all you're worried about. And again, cops are the same way. They mm-hmm. don't teach you how to let yourself out and you know cry. Right. Yeah, that would that would have been. Oh my God, you would have been ridiculed for years. Absolutely. There, you have to you have to maintain a certain presence. Uh-huh. You have to be strong. Your military bearing. Right. You have to have your military bearing at all times. Absolutely. So you have these thoughts, it stops you dead in your tracks. What changes? I actually uh, had lost a little bit of weight over that winter, just kind of being a little bit more active, moving a little bit more. <laughs> I don't mean to stop to interrupt you, but is this all your own doing? Is this all of the thoughts in your head like going, I'm, this is not good, I need to get up, I need to do, I need to change? Is this all coming from within yourself? It is. Okay. Because... That's amazing. That day that I was kind of stopped in my tracks kind of freaked me out a little bit. Okay. It was that. Um, I didn't even want to, yeah, to be perfectly honest with you and transparent, I didn't want to get out of bed to even use a restroom and was like, I don't even want to deal with this. It was that powerful for you. It was that bad. Yeah. That powerful. (laughs) And that bad to think that. like, And just started slowly kind of getting a little bit more active and... I had a friend at the time who. Saw a where were you living? Of me. I was in Kansas City okay. still. Sorry. 
had a friend who saw a picture of me and said, I've got this really great program. It's easy. It's a 21 day thing. I think you might want to try it. And at the time I remember seeing infomercials for different exercise equipment okay. and different things and was thinking, okay, how could, what am I going to do? I didn't really know which way to go. And this kind of presented itself to me. So I said, okay, I picked a date in March of 2016 and said, this is the day I'm going to start this. And it's a 21 day program and I'm just going to see how it goes. Fitness program, but with, um, eating, you know, it changed, it changed my diet too. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it kind of taught you, taught you how to eat, taught you portion control, had this exercise program and did it. And at the end had seen a drastic change. Really? Drastic change. Awesome. In that. And had also decided that I was going to stop taking these pills. Okay. I had heard rumblings of veterans who had turned to medical cannabis to help with pain, sleep, anxiety, depression, everything that I was taking medication for, pharmaceuticals. But thought it like I, that wasn't an option for me at the time. Um, prior to that at all, you know, being law enforcement right. and my upbringing and that was the gateway drug. Oh yeah. <laughs> you That's know, the devil's lettuce. It is. Can't touch and that stuff. You're a criminal and you're not a good person right. and all of the things that go along with it and right. started doing research and reading about it and decided to give it a shot. But when you're in a place that doesn't have access to medical cannabis, you just kind of have to go with what you get and decided to try it and used it to help wean myself off of the narcotics and, and was this just street stuff? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Statue just from you're, a friend. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, I we're know. Good. How many years have yeah, gone no, by? Okay. We're, we're good. <laughs> yeah, it was probably a misdemeanor to you. <laughs> right. So it's not a big deal. You're good, I promise. I knew what it was, but I didn't have options, I guess. Understood. I knew what strain it was at the time okay. and didn't have options. It's actually one I don't really I don't really go to now because of some side effects it causes amps up anxiety a little okay. bit. So I'm just but at the time I was like, okay, well, at least it's helping with the the pain. It's yeah. helping with the sleep. And it might not even have been that strain. True. It might have just been something that they said, oh, I heard this was whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it could <laughs> have been knows? whatever. Yeah. could have been hemp. Right. Um, and incorporated that. And like I said, the 20, end of 21 days, I felt really accomplished. And I had noticed a significant change and slowly weaned myself off of the pills and my first win after three and a half years of being at this one doctor was showing up to pick up my pills one month getting in my car getting home and putting the bag on my dresser before I even opened it and I was like wow that was significant that's amazing because every time I would just rush over there and get in the car and immediately sometimes I'd stop in the bathroom in the VA and drink out of the sink in the bathroom just to like medicate that's how desperate I was for him. I laugh, but it's it. They control you. Yes. They just completely control you. It's addiction, mm-hmm. and it's it's not self imposed. I don't think anybody on the planet wants to become a drug addict in any way, shape, or form. Right. But then, when that's your coping mechanism and that's your coping skills, and that that's what you were trained to do, was when you got injured, 
when you were working, what would you do? You would go, I mean, I know that we would run down, get 800 milligram, what is it, ibuprofen or whatever it is, mm -hmm. swallow that, take a hot shower, and you're going back to work the next day. Right. You're just trained to take pills. Suck it up. Suck it up. <laughs> yep. That's exactly it. You're exactly. just trained to take pills and get your ass back to work. It doesn't matter. Right. So when that's your training and that's your pain, that's your training. That's mm -hmm. what you were trained to do is take pills for it to, to resolve your issues. Mm -hmm. So that's an amazing win, though. It is. And my back surgery knee surgery, other things that I had had where I was prescribed these same, you know, Vicodin, Oxy, whatever, I would usually end up throwing away extras because I didn't need them anymore. And then this time it was because of these back-to-back -back surgeries. Right. Just a prolonged amount of time of being on constant meds, just it snowballs. And... As time goes on and the addiction and the dependency gets more severe, your willingness to acquire these when you run out gets riskier. And I think you just said the perfect word, your dependency. Yes. That's an excellent word to describe it. Yeah. Absolutely dependent in every which way. <laughs> and, you know, you're meeting people that take the same pills that you do and oh I'm out like can you spot me some until next month and I'm you know so the 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 um risk as far as what you'll you're what you're willing to do it gets a little bit more it's a little bit more tricky 80% of all street narcotics users started from a prescription mm -hmm. and their prescription ran out and next you know they're running out to go find heroin cuz it's cheaper it's the same thing and it's a hell of a lot cheaper right so, and then nowadays you have no idea what it's mixed with. Right. So that's Absolutely. insane. So you start incorporating cannabis into your life. I did. Not medical cannabis at this time. No, it's just, just it's, this is just weed. Dirt weed. Yeah, this is just straight up <laughs> weed. weed. Yeah, just weed. And this is all in Kansas? Missouri. Okay. Yeah, I was just on the Missouri side. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm very geographically declined. Um, so what... So you, what, how did you make the full time switch to cannabis? How was how did that go? Well, I stopped stopped using the pills for a couple of months and really hurt my back doing something and thought, oh well, intended use. I'll take one, just one, see how it goes. And then after a couple of days of increasing how much I was taking, I was like, I can't. This is I'm right back to where I was. Stop that continued to use cannabis um i think it was it was by mid 2016 that i had completely stopped nice and i had a bag full of pills that i wanted to do the right thing with i didn't I could have gone out. You wanted to sell them for 20 bucks a piece? Absolutely. I should have. <laughs> With the experience that I ended up going, I could have gone to Leavenworth and sold the bag in a matter of an hour, you know. But um, went to the VA, went, made a main appointment with my provider and sat down and I said, I've got this bag. What do I do with these pills? I need to get rid of them. I'm in crisis mode. I got to get them out of my house. And she said, Well, aren't you still in pain? And I said, Yes. She says, well, do you want muscle relaxers or something? And I said, no, I don't want anything. I don't want to take anything. And the thing is, for you to continue to get administered these type of medications, 
the VA will drug test you. And oh, if okay. you test positive for cannabis, they can essentially stop your prescription for that. No, 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 no. You you can't take the natural stuff. We have to give you the chemical pharmaceutical right. bullshit. Okay, yeah. No, you can't do that. Right. We pay these pharmaceuticals billions of dollars. We have to keep we have to keep them in, employed. Yes. So she sends me to the pharmacy. I go to the pharmacy. I said, I need to get rid of these pills. Oh, well, you got to get one of those mailer things out there and put it in here and do all this stuff. And then somebody overhears and says, are those narcotics? And I said, yes. And she, you can't you can't mail those. You can't dispose of them this way. Go downstairs and talk to so-and-so. And by this time, I was ready to leave. The yeah, thought you're, crossed you're, my mind. I'm over it. You're trying to be a good person and you're running into a bunch of bullshit. Exactly. So I go downstairs. They said, go talk to VA police. Go outside, find an officer. I need to get rid of these pills. What do I do with this? Blah, blah, blah. Come on in. We go to the VA. They have a little police department. Takes me in there. Goes and gets the supervisor. Now I have an audience. Wow, she's got this bag full of pills. And their mouths hit the floor when I dumped this bag out. I don't remember. Probably, I think there was 900 pills or something in there. Crazy. And they take out this charcoal bin with a screw top mm-hmm. it's like a disposal thing for for pills and they said we can't touch them you have to dump them all in there and i stood there for 15 20 minutes dumping bottle by bottle in there as they these people just kind of stared at me and one person came in and said is your provider so and so and i said yeah and she said that doesn't surprise me so here we have a provider that's known for mm-hmm. giving a lot of medications and I proceeded to dump all these things in there and went home. And that was the end of those. Nice. <laughs> so I ended up leaving September of that year, 2016. I packed everything up and moved back to San Diego. Okay. I was ready to get out of that. She had much better weed out in San Diego. Right. More options. <laughs> so I... I Moved out there and continued to incorporate healthier um, habits into my life with fitness and exercising and seeking to finally address mental health issues and mental go to counseling and really dig into that because I hadn't taken the opportunity to do that and was there for six months and ended up moving to Gilbert. Okay. Um came out for a visit and the situation in California didn't work out the way I'd planned and just decided to come here. I was like, something's pulling me out there. Well, I'm meant to be here. So nice. <laughs> yes. And got out here and obviously Eric, uh, Arizona has a medical marijuana program. Mm-hmm. So I got my medical marijuana card, went to a doctor and got that. And, did a lot of research. There's apps that you can use to do research on different strains and what you have going on. And you just take some time and do some research. You don't want to exacerbate anything, make right. anything worse. And I ended up, that's after I moved here, it was really when I was able to fully medicate with different cannabis options. I went through a shoulder surgery in 2018. Okay. And I didn't touch a pill. Jesus, what is that? One, what, what am I counting? Six surgeries? Seven surgeries? Oh, I think that there's about 12 or 13 total. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. Went through shoulder surgery and had planned ahead and got everything I needed. And 
I told my wife, I said, take this bottle of narcotics that the hospital or the doctor will give you and put them in the house somewhere, hide them. I've never gone through surgery recovery before without okay. narcotics. So okay. I don't know what to expect. Valid point to, um, to keep them, but somewhere not very accessible. Right. That's a good idea. And I ended up taking the whole bottle back to the VA and throwing this VA here. The clinic has an amnesty box, which all of them should have. Okay. And they don't, but there's an amnesty box for prescriptions that you can just go in and throw it into. Okay. And I took that whole bottle in there and tossed it in there and, Felt pretty damn good. That's awesome about that. It That's was a win a really right there. Good feeling. So you just use cannabis to get through the, the surgery pain. Yes, yes, I did. My uh, my experience in opioids is not nearly not nearly that extensive. Um, my short period of time where I was prescribed, a t- I was prescribed muscle relaxers, nerve blockers, gabapentin. Have you ever used that before? Mm-hmm. That made me stupid, mm-hmm. loopy, and exhausted. And I was like, I can't do this. And it got to the point where I could not function unless I had had those pills. Right. So I can't, and I did get to the point also when I was at the end of mine, because the pain was so bad that you have to have it for the pain a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I, but I do recall the, the last pill I took was the day, the morning after my surgery. And I had been incorporating cannabis before my surgery and incorporated a little bit albeit illegal, because I didn't know if it was going to work or not. So I got some from somebody and tried it, and it was like, holy shit, this actually works. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the last pill I took, and it was simply for the surgery pain. It wasn't for the actual back. The back back pain, it was actually gone, Mm -hmm. but it was the surgery site pain and, you know, all the inflammation and all that. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I'm I'm off these things. Thank God. Mm -hmm. But I do remember about a day later, I was getting a little shaky and a little... Little, little scared there and I have addiction runs in my family unfortunately so I can't even imagine the the feeling the good feeling of being able to kick that habit and kick that dependency on these fucking pills just right. to just to run just to live right. that's awesome it that, was that's a win it was that's a win yeah it was definitely a win and it also allowed me when I was I first started really using cannabis when I was living in Kansas City. All of a sudden, my brain just kind of started processing things. And it's like there was pieces of pu- the puzzle that were kind of connecting and I was having I called them like little epiphanies mm-hmm. and I was journaling and mm-hmm. all of these thoughts would just kind of come flooding about even from my childhood up why I was the way I was and why I did certain things and kind of generational cycles that was passed on to me that weren't necessarily healthy. Right. (laughs) So there was a lot of really, I began to kind of turn inward and look at myself as a person and not just look out at everything else. And it's been, it's been a really awesome journey. And when I got out here, I, that's when I really kind of dug deep into therapy and counseling and if you don't know where to start with it just start with talk therapy just go talk to somebody and just unload just dump you know things in your life that are going on and thing issues that you're having and start there and look into other programs i've done different mental health programs and went to a um, program out in boston for two weeks it was called the home-based program put on by Mass General Hospital, 
and it was life changing. That's awesome. It was absolutely amazing. Can't use cannabis there. So they started me on pharmaceuticals. Oh my God. <laughs> to deal with sleep issues. And I did what I had to do. I had to respect the rules. We get drug tested every day. And really? Every morning when you walk in, you have your analysis. So as long as your levels are going down, I just closed everything. Oh, okay. So that's, that was, fine. that's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. But there can't be any increase in the levels. Gotcha. So. Um, I'm trying to be respectful of your time, so I'm just making sure. Oh. No worries. Just making sure. Time. Okay. Got about an hour. Yeah. Um, went through that program and did a couple other programs here at the VA and just really have been trying to continue down this path. I've been involved with a couple different veterans organizations. Okay. Um, Wounded Warrior Project sent me on a couple Project Odysseys which deals with PTSD healing from trauma. And it's an amazing program and really got a lot out of that and really just tried to find a lot of balance in my life. I actually went and got this. Oh, nice. I have a tattoo on my. And it says balance. balance. So this was kind of like a, when I came out the other side of all of this, I had gone down to Texas to visit one of my best friends and was there for a while and just on a whim kind of went and got that tattoo one night while I was out by myself. And it was, I felt like a new person had been born. That's awesome. Really. Um, I had completely changed as a person and realized that I had kind of always felt a disconnect, I think between myself and other veterans okay specifically combat veterans okay i was never in combat okay i never had bullets flying at me i was deployed i wasn't deployed to iraq or afghanistan i was deployed to other places for um in support of Mm -hmm. oif oef i was in Mm -hmm. kyrgyzstan i was in saudi arabia for southern operation southern watch but I'd always felt a disconnect between myself and combat vets. I felt undeserving of things, undeserving of the title. And I don't, I still feel that way just because it's, it's not the same. Um, And then when I came out of my situation, I kind of took a step back and thought addiction is addiction. Yes, it is. And trauma is trauma. Yes, it is. And it doesn't matter where it was caused or how it was caused, I felt like I had things to share. I felt like I wanted to get out and and do outreach. I wanted to help everybody. That's how I felt. I felt like I was on top of the world because I had come out of this situation and feeling like an absolutely new person. Yes. And really since then have been trying to find ways to connect with other veterans on that level and incorporate different ways of life like there is there's hope yes. there's there are other ways of living besides misery um it takes effort so there's an accountability portion of that as well 100 <laughs> percent. and there's not just a, a one thing will fix all uh tool like cannabis is just not like a miracle it's not thing and it's not just going to fix all your problems and make everything get better but incorporated into a healthy lifestyle and active um 
active, I don't know if you want to call it recovery, what, or living, being active in your mental health, being active in your, in your care. It's just, it all, it all comes together. It all plays an integral part, integral part into each other. What amazes me is how disciplined you are in the military. And then when you go through trauma and stuff like that, and you get put into that path, it, your, your discipline just runs away. Mm -hmm. You have no more discipline. You're not motivated to do anything you're not willing to get up and do anything whereas when you were back in the military and had a mission and had a purpose right you you did what you had to do because that's that was the mission that's what the mission called for and then when you're out and going through issues like that you don't want to help yourself right you don't you, you want to help everybody else but you don't want to help yourself right and you don't have any and and a lot of veterans a lot of people in crisis just take the veteran out of it. a lot of people in crisis don't even realize they are in crisis mm-hmm. which is that was kind of my issues i didn't realize that i was dealing with so much bullshit I, I I was king of the world at work, so why, I don't have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, bullshit. You know, and then when you actually go and start talking to somebody and peeling away the layers right? that you understand. And I'm very happy that you brought up the, the mental aspects of cannabis. And you're right, cannabis is not a cure-all drug. But it has incredible benefits mentally for for trauma, for PTSD, for anxiety, for dealing with that stuff. And the conversation that I had with Elena last week and her experiences was I stated and we heard talked before and she stated that for me, this is my, my personal uh, experience using cannabis and re- relating to trauma. When I, when I medicate and it puts me into the right frame of mind, I'm able to go back to the, to the traumatic events and not relive it but remember it mm-hmm. and break it down and process it and say, okay, this is what happened. But then the biggest, the biggest thing for me is that it allows me to move on. Mm-hmm. I don't get stuck in the same loop reliving and feeling all of that. You're just, I can just simply remember the event, think about the event and move on. Mm-hmm. And that's been my personal, my personal experience with it in regard to the psychological effects of cannabis. Right. So I don't know if you've had similar experiences such as that, but just kind of allows me to process everything. Absolutely. It's when you're, when I, I should say I, cause I don't, can't speak for anybody else. <laughs> right. That's, when, yeah, when my head feels kind of scrambled, overwhelmed, like I start getting edgy. Can't, I can't really take anything else in. I medicate and it allows me to kind of take a step back mm-hmm. and break conversations and situations down into smaller pieces. Yep. And there's times now even that I'll, okay, um, hmm, this conversation earlier, I was kind of an asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> and I need to apologize. Mm-hmm. And I reacted impulsively or I said something I shouldn't have said. And it, it allows me to kind of assess myself mm-hmm. at the same time. But like you said, you can look back on past events or past situations and think, okay, like this makes sense now. Yes. I, this is what happened. This is what happened to me because of it. And it, and it's a very helpful tool and, and that aspect as well. If you get a weird ass text message for me about 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, and it's something lovey dovey or, you know, chit chatty or whatever, yeah. I'm probably medicated. And it's all of those things that I've wanted to say to you. Right. And just, you know, because everybody wants to, to be, you say, and, but cannabis gives me that ability to be like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, and just have those open dialogue and the open conversation. Right. 
So, yeah, it's definitely a tool. You had said something that kind of reminded me of, of a situation. And one day I was at home and was just getting started with kind of being more healthy and living more healthy and getting off the pills. And I took on the mentality one day that I was going to make myself my job. When you okay. talk about purpose, mm-hmm. I'm going to make myself my job. And that's all it took for me to just be like, okay, this is it. Just taking on that simple mentality of myself, is I am my purpose. And this is my mission. The, the thing, you have <laughs> very... It's a mind game. It is a mind game, <laughs> but you're very self-aware. So that's a good thing. Like, it's why I asked you earlier, was like, was all this from you? Like, this in, this innate, you know, drive inside of you to fix yourself, which is a, an amazing thing that unfortunately a lot of people don't have. Right. Have, a lot of people need a shove, but if you can shove yourself, that's... You know, you're inner, you're inner motivating yourself. That's amazing. Right. That's awesome. But it's good. You know, that, but that's the thing, though, is that we should see ourselves as a job. Mm-hmm. We should take mental health days. We should, you know, there's always an abuse of everything. I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a job that every day is in a mental health day, recall that. But I'm talking about take, do those things for your mental health and working out physical therapy, medicating properly, you know, those types of things. Those are the things that you can do to help to help medicate or to help keep yourself healthy. Mm-hmm. I know that if, if I hadn't started physical therapy, I mean, my pain would have just gotten worse and my, your irritability and everything gets, go, gets worse. If oh, you're not absolutely. taking care of yourself. Absolutely. Pain really messes with your head a lot. And if you don't address it and I know some pain is, is chronic, it doesn't go away, right? but there are ways to kind of help yourself a little bit with that. And just figuring out, I guess, what works for you Yes, um, is what's most important. But self-accountability and putting in the effort to want to change, too. So on that note, with other veteran groups and people and organizations that you've dealt with, how what's the biggest stumbling block for veterans to, to take these steps? What's their biggest issues that you've seen personally? As far as taking steps to... For a cannabis side or just gentle, gentle all of in it. general? All of it. Everything. Probably feeling alone. Okay. And just kind of taking that first step and figuring out good resources, I would say. Um, not falling into a victim mentality. Because it's very easy to look back at trauma and things that have happened to you and fall victim to it and use it as as an excuse. So Very much so. You have to be willing to accept what's happened in the past. And that's why some of these veterans organizations are excellent because they focus on mindfulness and being present and... Yep, that happened to you, but you're here now. Yeah. And just enjoy what's in front. Look look at what's in front of you and, and just be mindful of the space that you're in right now. I recently became an ambassador and signed up for a organization called Balanced Veterans Network. Okay. And it's interesting because I have this. And, right, right, know, right. And I kind of fell into that. Everything and, comes full circle. Right, exactly. And it's a wonderful organization that focuses on alternative treatments, alternative therapies for veterans and 
their family members. Okay. So it provides education to an empowerment and they focus on mental health and well-being, physical activity, alternative therapies. Such as? Cannabis. Okay. Um, psilocybin. See, is, I don't even think of cannabis as an alternative anymore. It's like, right. that's the main one. So anyways, but psilocybin. Psilocybin. Okay. Um, I think they have a couple other, um, I, I can't pronounce one of the names, but just ayahuasca. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> just some different, okay. different alternatives that have been, um, shown to have great benefits okay. to different things that people have going on. And operation 1620 is a veterans cannabis group that is incorporated within balanced veterans and operation 1620. If, you know, military time is 420, 420 which is the, what, international <laughs> smoking time. Apparently. You know what? <laughs> One of these days I should actually look up what it is. Right, There's a no. hilarious show on Netflix where they do a whole 420. It's called, the show's called Disjointed and they have a little, have you seen that I was going to ask if you saw that because they do yeah. a great job of covering the spectrum of cannabis users. Yeah, no, that's actually opinion. a good point. There's a veteran on there. There is. Yeah, There's the stoner couple. There's the... <laughs> <laughs> the lady having a midlife crisis that needs help right. and you know so it's as entertaining as that show was i got a lot i think that's I a valid point yeah the spectrum that they showed it didn't just stereotype right no there's one. yeah i mean side tangent there's but yeah, yeah there's right. this one particular little musical scene if you recall where they're singing about it's 420 the best day of the year <laughs> yeah. and they're like does anybody know the meaning of 420 and everybody kind of looked around like Fuck, I don't know. So I'm sure there's a reason. I just don't know what it is. So I personally don't know. Oh, yeah, it's the the time. Just yeah. I don't know the origin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm ignorant. Here. We're we're bad stoners. <laughs> yeah, we're bad stoners. Um, great great organizations. And that's balanced veterans. Balanced vet balanced veterans network network. Gotcha. Balancedveteransnetwork.com is our website. If you're interested in nice. checking it out, we'll definitely plug we'll that. Plug, we'll plug that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and it's a great community to, for support. It's a great community for people who, for veterans who are trying to live the best lives possible. Every day is not perfect. I have some definitely dark days. Mm. There was a, a period of time last year. I know last year was very hard for a lot of people. It was. Um, there's a period of time last year where, I kind of noticed some old thoughts okay. coming back. My wife kind of talked to me, you know, very lovingly in a way. Hey, kind of don't really recognize you right now. And I didn't recognize myself, but denial's easy and right. being comfortable is easy. And I knew kind of how far away I had fallen a little bit with some coping mechanisms and, and whatnot. So just... If you fall down eight, what is the saying? Fall down eight, get up nine. Get up something nine like times. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not it. Every day is not perfect. There's definitely a lot of a lot of rough days, but as long as you continue on that path and finding purpose is very important. That's um, the hard part, right there, for a lot of veterans. Yeah, that's the hard part is finding a new mission and finding and it, it is a mission, right? If but, you equate it to what you're trained to do, it is a mission. And you just have to find something that you enjoy doing. My family and I do foster work for rescue dogs. We've been fostering for about four years, and there's other organizations out there where you can get involved in. I 
Team Rubicon is another organization that's wonderful where they have disasters, natural disasters, okay. floods, fires, hurricanes, and you are flown out to these locations. You and deploy. Fed, you deploy, to yeah. essentially, yes. And you serve for a week helping a community in humanitarian manner. And you go when you want. You can go as often as you want. Interesting. I, this is the first I've ever heard of this, so this is amazing. It is. That sounds really, yeah, you is. deploy for a week, it sounds like. Right. They've got, uh, Haiti just had a really bad yeah, earthquake, yeah. so yeah. they're getting ready to deploy a bunch of people down there for three weeks. So if it's something So that, it's international, it's not just It here. is, yes. If it's something that you're interested in, as a, they take veterans and civilians, do a little, you have a training course. If you want to progress throughout different jobs, they have... Sawyer training, they'll train you on the chainsaw. If you want to be a heavy equipment operator, they'll do that. So you can learn how to go and provide those services in disaster areas. And if you're looking for the camaraderie and a mission and a safer mission at that. Right. It's yeah. Not getting shot at, hopefully. Find what you like. If you're physically able to do something like that, just, you know, look around and get involved and and find something and don't. Don't fall into into being a victim of of your past because it'll you'll stay there, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. And I think the hardest thing is is that everybody everybody has shitty days. Mm-hmm. We all have suicidal thoughts. We do. Every single human being does. It's natural. We all have shit in our heads, but everybody thinks it's unnatural and doesn't want to talk about it. Everybody thinks it's a deep dark secret, and that it's that they're going to be stigmatized. And unfortunately that's the bullshit that we need to get over. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the bullshit that we need to be able to talk about things. And unfortunately the military and law enforcement is very stigmatized. It is. So it's instead of I, all the critical incident, stress bullshit and all that, that was actually of no help in any way, shape or form. All I did was take up my time at the end of the day, but it's, it's, we need to be able to talk. And for those veterans, for anybody in crisis who's struggling, you, got to reach out to somebody and i don't know how to make people do that mm-hmm. i don't know i i didn't realize i was in crisis when i was in crisis so that's the struggle is you know if you don't think you're in crisis just go talk to somebody anyways right get a mental health checkup every once in a while maybe you'll find out oh shit you're actually dealing with a lot of stuff there's unfortunately a lot of distrust and a lot of skepticism with doctors and providers that are offered to veterans and i know very valid point um some are are reluctant to go because they can't get care that they that they need or they'll go to a provider like maybe they get in with a therapist or mental health provider and the next thing you know they're being sent to somebody else and so i think that there's a lot of frustration within that system as well as far as why why veterans don't pursue something pursue more help because they just get frustrated with the system and there's also that things their own way and there's also that suck it up mm-hmm. and there's also that suck right. it up aspect you're fine shut up and do your job mm-hmm. shut up in color that's what we'd say shut up in color so yeah that's just that's i i don't know i don't know how to get over that stigma i don't know i'm i'm a talker obviously i, I have no problem talking openly and honestly about stuff but i just realized that so many people don't they don't have that ability. They don't have that innate drive such as you have. They they just get stuck. Mm-hmm. They just get stuck. They just get stuck. They're you, you nailed it. They become a victim. They have a victor. Uh, they have that victim mentality, 
And I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to help those people. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Right. You know, that's the question. <laughs> I don't know. Just knowing that, that there's other options out there. Is, there is. There's resources. There's, there's resources and options. And it's just baby steps as far as change in, in your thought process on things. And just everybody needs to and realize. being real. Yes. Being honest with yourself. Yes. And, and just assessing your own mind, I guess, is no. the best way to put it. <laughs> so. Well, leave us with some words of wisdom. I mean, I think that was pretty wise what you just stated, but if Jen had a wand for a day. Oh, gosh. What would she do? <laughs> Lower weed prices. Oh, right. I did want to tell you about, though, um, I know we had touched a little bit about um, police PTSD mm -hmm. type things mm -hmm. and mental health stigma. So one of my closest friends is out here going through mental health training who's a police officer in Texas. Awesome. Their department has something called the Blue Chip Program or something that has to do with Blue Chip Program. Is it an app? No. No, okay. I was going to say, because I, I have an app on my phone oh. from a, a friend of mine who's still in law enforcement was telling me about it, so I downloaded it. But anyways, okay. I, I digress. Continue. It's for officers and their families, and there are volunteer therapists and counselors in the community that are in this network. Okay. And you This go, is good information. Thank you for sharing this. Sure. You give them your, this blue chip, and they build the department with no names attached to it. They, somebody came in and we provided counseling services to them, completely anonymous. And it allows officers and family members to go and seek mental health, counseling, treatment, whatever, um, at no cost to them. Nice. And completely anonymous. So there has to be a change, a significant change in the stigma for mental health treatment and accessibility yes very much so because it's hard to find providers and then finding a provider that you work well with yes. because you can't just go to anybody you and have providing to finding a provider that understands trauma and not just your your basic you know issues and all that but then also on, not only on top of trauma but a military background, a law enforcement background. And I don't want to exclude anybody from these conversations. Right. I'm not talking just to cops. I'm not talking just to military. I'm not talking just to cannabis patients. This is for everybody when it comes to the mental health aspect. Like finding somebody who's well-versed in those types of things to actually help you is very difficult. And they're shorthanded right now. Yes, absolutely. So, the I, systems are overwhelmed. Mental health is completely overwhelmed. It's one of the it, – it, that should be funded – a thousand times more than what it is. Right. I remember, I mean, from the law enforcement side, when I would pick up somebody that definitely needed mental health care, I was one of the only officers that would actually take the time to submit them. And I had the, the electronic petitions on my computer and I'd take them down to uh, uh, UPC, I forget what that stands for, down in Phoenix. But they're doing the best that they can, but it was like, it was like the loony bin in there. You know what I mean? But there was... It was just a holding tank mm -hmm. and they would try to do that. And I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm saying they were so overwhelmed and there's so much mental health that, that people needed that there's just not enough resources. Right. There's just not. And I'm also extremely happy that you brought it up that one of the, for, I don't know if she works or if the foundation does military, 
specifically, but I know she's just law enforcement. It's called Under the Shield, and it's ran by a friend of mine and does the same sort of thing, counseling and all that for law enforcement. You just have to look up Under the Shield. Okay. And so it's an excellent resource for cops, and they're nationwide, and they have a hotline number that you can call, and it's again, it's the same sort of thing. It's anonymous, and it's to provide those extra the extra help for officers. Right. She, she told me a story of an officer who was having an episode where he was completely suicidal, and had that person gone to their command staff, that person absolutely would have had their gun taken away. They potentially would have been fired, but come to find out it was a medication that was causing these issues that he was prescribed and causing these thoughts. Oh, so it's the sort of thing where had he taken the route of going through his chain of command and told him what the issues, he would have had an issue, but she was able to resolve the issue in and take care of the problem, mm-hmm. you know, and not hide anything or anything like that, but just say like, look, this was not what it was. So she was able to, to work through issues and help officers out anonymously. That's awesome. So that's what they need. Right. Military, law enforcement, all that stuff. Right. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> like that's, it's like a, um, what's the, the word I'm looking for? Like a, I don't want to say it's a cliche word, but it's, you hear it a lot these days with vulnerability. Oh, absolutely. And a trigger word. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. And it's, it's important because if you really want to get anywhere, if you really have a true desire to heal from things that have happened, you have to be willing to open up. And, and you have to be honest with honest, yourself. Right. Again, my, my downward spiral with my mental health led to my personal decisions in my personal life that were not good. Mm-hmm. And which is the reason I'm not in law enforcement anymore. One of the reasons and my back injury. And it's like, if you're not honest with yourself, you're, you're worthless. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just hiding and masking everything and you're not telling the truth. Right. So, and you'll never get anywhere. You'll bullshit your way through life. Mm-hmm. You'll never get anywhere. You have you will be a victim and have a victim mentality for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I think that's yeah. a good place to call it. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you very very much for coming on here. Thank you for being vulnerable and open and honest. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was so, good. It was fun. Let me turn off all this equipment here. Give me all right. And there you have it. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. Again, if I've held your attention for this long, I must be doing something right. I just want to take a moment again to thank Jen Baxter for coming on and telling her story and for being open and vulnerable. And it's scary. And for those of you who have never put yourself out there like this, it's a very scary thing. So please let me know what you think. I can be reached at blue2greenpodcast at gmail. I can be reached on Instagram at blue2green.officialpodcast and on Facebook, Blue to Green Podcast. So thank you very much, everyone. I hope to hear from you all and take care.